Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast, where this week we are privileged to have Pastor Aaron Dowds giving a great message. Enjoy. So, in preparation for... Uh, this morning's word, just to remind you, you can get the notes. I think this is so cool. Sometimes I manage it. Most of the time I'll manage it. <laughs> I think this is instructions back here. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go on that just now and you can head to events, uh, search the Vine Church. Make sure it's the Vine Church in Dunfermline, not in America or Barbados. <laughs> you might end up with some different sermon notes. <laughs> um, so, yep. Vine Church, if you search for that, you should find this morning's message from Pastor Aidan Dowd's Rock Solid Hope Part 5. It's been an excellent series. Um, it's been really, really good. So I uh, hope you enjoy this morning. And I'm um, just going to ask Pastor Aidan to come forward. Let's um, give it up for Aidan. Thank you. Katie and Andy here with her new baby. Welcome, guys. Uh, Such good news. Uh, It's wonderful to be here. As I say, if you're first time, please do relax. Please do uh, just take your time. And uh, it can be all new uh, if you've not been in church for a long time or or never been before. But uh, please do feel welcome and feel relaxed. I want to talk about Rock Solid Hope, part five today. And um, we were very blessed by Zara. Uh, who babysat for us on Friday night. We managed to have a date night, which is something that doesn't ha- happen too often. And they're uh, glad to report back that we had a great date night. Um, some people tell me they fall out on their date nights. I mean, that's never happened to us. Uh, some people tell us that they argue. I mean, how can that happen on a date? But we, I'm glad to report back we had a wonderful date night. And um, uh, someone actually asked me for bank details so they could bless us for our date night. And I says, no danger. And uh, they said, you're going to get scalped if you don't give me your bank details. I went, no danger. Um, and when I got home, there was cash through my letterbox. And I just want to say thank you so much to the person that did that. Um, and uh, as a result, we went to a beautiful restaurant. And um, I texted the person to say thanks so much because we were eating this beautiful restaurant. And it's a beautiful meal. And uh, they said, well, what were you going to do? I said, well, the original plan was uh, a kebab in Kelty. Uh, eat it in the car park and then we're going to head to the jazz club but we got both so we got a <laughs> and we would have enjoyed it just as much because the kebabs in Kelty are probably the best uh, kebabs I've ever had uh, the shish kebabs in Kelty so we had a beautiful night a beautiful meal and uh, I've got a wonderful beautiful wife who's just wonderful company very light-hearted very fun and um, she's God's perfect woman for me amen, amen. yes wonderful and uh, the waiter was a great guy. He was, uh, I, could tell, uh, I could tell straight away that uh, there was something different about him. And through the course of the evening as he was serving our various courses, um, he managed to tell us about his own mental health struggles. He knew about Connor Law, the boxer who had committed suicide in Fife. We got to sh- share about Change Life Fife. This was all on date night. I was looking at Lindsay to see if I was going to get in trouble, but uh, she was very gracious and... Um, helped uh, reach out to this guy. Um, but he was saying, you know, he, the guy was saying, you know, you can look all, all, I can look quite happy and I can tell jokes. And he was telling us various jokes about um, 
the, the, the Europeans and other people that visit the restaurant and they'll hand over their cash and he'll look at them and go, oh, where did you get that money? Where did you get that money? That's not real, that's fake. And as they bring out their, 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 uh, their big wad of notes, and uh, he, he likes to wind them up and uh, get them panicking, which is very cruel, very cruel to do that. Um, but there's a need wherever you go. This was in the capital city of Edinburgh, knew about Connor Law, the Celtic boxer, didn't know about the Celtic kebabs, didn't know about the boxer. There's just great need wherever we go for rock solid hope. So today, rock solid hope part five. And um, I want to ask, today we sang about knowing him. And I want to ask, well, today I want to focus on the key, if we could get the timer on please, Clara. The key to rock solid hope is his presence and is knowing him. And I want to, I want to ask, do you know him? Do you know God? Or do you know of him? Because the key is knowing him. And I'm not talking about knowledge of him. I'm talking about personal. I'm talking about uh, experiential. I'm talking about an intimate relationship with him. Do you know how mighty he is? Do you know how powerful he is? Do you know how great he is? Do you know how compassionate he is? Do you know how loving he is? Do you know how faithful he is? Do you know how reliable he is and he is for you? Do you know him as your father? Because that relationship is what gives us rock solid hope. But there's three major obstacles that we find in our life. Three major obstacles are sources of opposition. And the first one that we, we struggle against is the internal opposition within us and within our minds. And this is an opposition to doing what is right. It's an internal desires to do, whether it's just through selfishness or greed or pride or self-reliance. It's a tendency to do the wrong thing or the desire to do the wrong thing. That's one source of opposition that we face is the internal opposition in our hearts and mind, which leads people to do the wrong thing. The Bible calls it sin. There's an internal opposition that we face. There's an external opposition that we face as well. One of the struggles that we have is the culture that we live in. The culture is one that necessarily doesn't live for God or necessarily for others. We live in a culture, generally speaking, that is out for itself, for its fame. And, um, and so one of the... We have uh, people who live in a secular culture. We have people who don't prioritize God's love or, or, or love for others. And so there's hurt, there is pain, there is rejection, there is suffering, there is hatred, there is backstabbing, there is hurt and pain that is in our broken world because we have a world in which broken people exist and hurting people hurt others. So not only have we got an internal opposition that we struggle against, we've got the external uh, uh, opposition from the culture that which we live in and the tendency is to conform to the pattern of the culture that we live in. And the third is an external opposition through a spiritual enemy. The, Jesus talked about a spiritual enemy who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy an invisible opposition that comes against us 
and loves to see, doesn't want us to be in close relationship with God, and doesn't want, us to, doesn't want to see us living an abundant life. So we've got three sources of opposition, internal, external through our culture, and external through an invisible spiritual enemy. The good news is that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, died upon the cross, and through his death, made it possible that each one of us could experience victory over those three sources of opposition. It is possible to have victory over self and through the, the struggles, the internal struggles of our heart and mind. It's possible to have victory over sin. It's possible to have victory over the culture and over others and not be conformed and, and not suffer uh, the consequences of how others are cruel or, or difficult or hard towards us. And it's possible to have victory over the spiritual enemy that seeks to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus Christ died upon the cross in order that we may have victory, but it's not automatic. You can be a Christian and come to church and not be experiencing victory in any of these three areas. Victory is not automatic. It's not assumed. Jesus Christ won the victory, but we have to enforce the victory. We have to learn to live in the victory. We need to learn how to get the victory, keep the victory, maintain the victory. And that comes through relationship, knowing him, depending on him, needing him, and aware that I cannot win the victory on my own. I am not David who can feed the three Goliaths. Those are three giants in our life. I am not David. Jesus Christ is a David that defeated Goliath, but I need to come and receive and live in his victory and continue to allow him to fight my battles. Amen? Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Anyone ever had a little bit of trouble in their life? There is trouble through living in a broken world. Our creation, our world is broken. We have famine, we have drought, we have tsunamis, we have earthquakes. And so creation is broken, the earth is broken, and as a result, there is suffering upon the earth. But not only is the creation broken, human beings are broken. They're separated from God and they are hurting. And what does broken things do? When you stand on a bit of broken glass, it hurts. And because there's so many broken people and hurting people, hurting people hurt others. And you've been hurt by others. You've been hurt by their cruel words. You've maybe been hurt by their coldness. You've been, maybe you've been hurt by their silence. And the story we'll hear later, a man was hurt because his wife had just died and he went to the butchers to buy something. He turned to the lady who was a neighbor behind him and she was so unsure of what to say, she immediately just put her head to the ground and said absolutely nothing. <laughs> and you know what, maybe we've done that ourselves because we don't know what to say to someone that has just lost a loved one. So we say nothing. And so we live in a broken world. We live... In, with, with broken people, there is suffering, there is hardship, there's betrayal. Human beings betray us. Human, human beings can act very evil. You only need to look at your newspaper, turn on the news to see there is evil in this world. There are thousands of rape cases in England and Wales every single year. 1% of, of, of rape victims 
um, uh, their perpetrator goes to the courts and gets charged. 1%. And I heard of a story this week of a girl uh, who suffered at the hands. And she was having night terrors for a year. Her mum had to sleep in her bed. Her sister had to sleep in her bed. They had to try and wake her from the night terrors. She was dragged through the courts for three months, had to face all sorts of harassment from family members. My heart broke for that young girl. My heart broke. And that man got charged for four years. And I said, you know what? That's right. That's just. Punishment is just for evil. We would all agree that. The evil deserves to be punished. And that's why God has given us government and, and laws and so that evil can be punished. Evil exists, doesn't it? It exists in our world, but it's, it's so much easier to see it in the extreme form in others, but not to recognize it in and of ourselves. Jesus said, you know, about uh, cheating on another man's wife. He said, even if you look a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in his heart. Yeah, the extreme forms of evil are bad, but Jesus said in seed form, in seed form, it's just as dangerous because that's where, where it starts and where it begins. Because we live in a broken world. And our, one of our biggest dangers is not to recognize our own propensity, our own potential, our own capability to do what is wrong. Pastors, Christian leaders fail. Big Christian leaders, pastors fail because they're as susceptible and vulnerable as any one of us. And any time we think we're standing firm, be careful that we do not fall. So we live in a broken world with broken people. But Jesus came to offer a brand new heart and a brand new start. Imagine God was able to remove all the evil from the world. Imagine he was able to change everybody so there was no more backstabbing pain, no more evil, no more suffering, no more darkness, only love. The human beings were only filled with love for God and love. Wouldn't that be a beautiful world to live in? Wouldn't that be just a wonderful place? Well, God has created such a place. It's called heaven. And that's where he's taken us to. That's where we're going. And he came 2,000 years, 2, years ago to start the process. He died upon the cross and he gives everyone the offer of a brand new heart and a brand new start to move from darkness to light and to become part of his kingdom and to be part of that love. Not to be the part of the pain and the suffering, but to move from that side to the, the side of light to bring love, to bring goodness back to the world. He offers every one of us that opportunity. But we're in the period of the now and the not yet. His kingdom has come, but in part, it's now and not yet. We still have light, but we have darkness. We have goodness, but we've got suffering. We've got pain. There's still brokenness. Jesus will return and will bring an end to all the suffering, all the pain, all the brokenness, and create that perfect place of heaven. And we can experience these glimpses of heaven on earth now, but we still have the suffering. We still have the pain. We still suffer the consequences of man who has free choice to deny God, to deny the light, to hurt others. And so we live in a broken world. But Jesus came to offer you a brand new heart and a brand new start and a brand new hope that one day, you know what? All evil will be done away with. And there is going to be an eternal world, new heaven and new earth, where there'll be no pain, no suffering, just pure, pure love and pure, pure light. And he offers you the hope of being in that kingdom. 
Maybe you will not fully deal with the grief and pain in this life, but in the life to come, you can have the hope that though we are broken now, he's going to mend all things. He's going to mend all things, including our broken hearts. So what is the rock-solid hope we have? Psalm 91, 14 to 16, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. I like how the message translation puts it. If you hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out, keyword, any, any, any trouble. Are you in trouble? I'll get you out of any trouble. That's the hope. That's the rock solid hope of the, he will get you. And I think depression comes when there's no hope. I'm never going to get out of this trouble. I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm never going to get out of a broken marriage that's, that's just hurting me and, and killing me. Uh, when, when, when you have no hope that your circumstances are ever going to improve, my goodness, then darkness comes. But that's when we've got to come back to the truth. It says, I will get you out of any trouble. And I'm looking at some faces, and I know some of you have been to the brink of suicide. I know some of you have been betrayed by your husband or your wife that's been with you for many years. And I thought, and maybe you thought at that point, there's no way I can get out of this trouble. And some of you went to that bridge and you contemplated and maybe even tried. I see you standing here today and God got you out of that trouble. It took a long time. It took a period of time of healing and a new life. But I see fresh beginnings all around me. And that is the hope that if you're at that place of being on the bridge or, or close to being at the bridge, that God can get you out of any trouble. God can heal your pain. He can heal your grief. He can give you new hope. He can repair. He can restore. There is hope. You don't have to live for now till eternity with brokenness and with pain. I will give you the best of care <laughs> if only you'll get to know and trust me. Call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life, give you a long drink of salvation. The ESV puts it this way, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. So he says, because he knows my name. Well, we know his name's Jesus. We know his name's God. <clears throat> or I am. Or I Yahweh. Is that what it means? Just because I know his name's Jesus, that's going to get me out of trouble. The name in the Old Testament represented the whole personality, the character, and the nature of the person. Name was hugely significant. And so God's name, as Dave Life mentioned in his story, was hugely significant because it represents the whole nature, character, and personality of the person. And he says, when you know my name, and it's not intellectual knowledge. It's personal, experiential, relational knowledge. It's not knowing of Lindsay. I know Lindsay because we live and share and talk together. Not enough, but we should, we should talk more. I should talk more. Men, you should talk more. Men, you should listen more. 
Yeah? And that's what it's about. We should listen more, be in relationship. He says, because he knows my name. Do you know his name? Do you know him? And that's the key to rock solid hope, getting to know him, getting to know how powerful he is, getting to know he's almighty, getting to know he's faithful, getting to know he's reliable, getting to know he's gracious, he's not angry with you, he's loving, getting to know that he's your father, getting to know that he's your child, getting to know that he's your protector, getting to know that he's faithful is knowing him and living in personal, intimate relationship with him, not just reading your Bible. You can read your Bible and not know him. It's about developing a relationship through prayer, through worship, and through relationship with others, and growing in knowing him. He says, call me and I'll answer. He says, when they call on me, I will answer. Big word I want to emphasize there is when they call on me. Sometimes the last thing we do is, when all else has failed, we turn to God in prayer. We say, God, I've tried everything, and so I'm turning to you now. God said, don't come turn to me at the end of your rope. Come at the start of your rope. It's okay to come to me at the end of your rope, but I want you to call on me, and we must learn to call on God. What does that look like? Sometimes it looks like a blubbering mess where you're literally on your face and just saying, God, I can't cope. I can't cope with this pain. I can't cope with this grief. I can't cope with this, um, this, this situation. I can't change it. I'm powerless and I need you, God. I need you, God. I just, I'm really struggling. I can't see you. I can't feel you. You're nowhere to be seen. There's no sign of hope. And you're a blubbering, snotty mess on the floor. Has anyone ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. I've been there on that floor when I've cried out and said, God, will my wife ever get better? Will she ever recover from this mess? Calling out to God. When they call on me, I will answer. And how does he answer? I will be with them in trouble. What is the answer to rock solid hope? I will be with them in trouble. His presence, his presence, his presence. Where does rock solid hope come from? I will be with him in trouble. He comes to you. He doesn't stop the trouble. He doesn't necessarily prevent the trouble. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But he comes into the trouble and gives you the strength in the trouble. And he says, I will rescue and honor them. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, we have the film stars James Stewart as George Bailey, a man who's given up his dream to help others. And his imminent suicide on Christmas Eve brings about the intervention of his guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody. Clarence shows George all the lives he has touched and how different life in his community of Bedford Falls would be if he had never been born. And so here we have a man that's on the brink of suicide overwhelmed and he calls out and he prays and when you do that God answers in multiple mysterious ways that we can never fathom or imagine he he answers in different ways for different people and over sometimes over a prolonged period of time the invisible God works in visible situations to come to bless us and to benefit us would you like to see a minute or two of this movie come on then
I didn't have time to get some stylish underwear. Wife gave me this on my last birthday. <laughs> I passed away in it. Oh, Tom Sawyer's drying out too. You should read the new book Mark Twain's writing now. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Where do you come from? Heaven. I had to work quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2, what, what, what's that, AS2? Angel, second class. I was sent an answer to your prayer. I mean, that we hear about that in the, the book of Daniel. Um, angels are such a thing, actually, in the Bible, uh, and sometimes they come unexpected uh, and we mistake them as, as human beings. However, the, the point is, call to him and he will answer. And um, the angel had to show him, he had to take him through his life, that how different his life would have been if he didn't exist. And actually, people who commit suicide very often say, my life is amounted to nothing, I'm of no value and no worth, which is a deception and a lie because the truth and the reality is if they were to get a film reel of how different their life would have been if they had never existed and all the positive impact they've made upon the world and others and the multiple implications of that, then they would realize that actually their life was valuable and significant despite the fact that there's severe suffering and pain in people's lives. The game changer. Uh, is his presence with you. Joseph, we see in Genesis 39-2, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph had every reason to suffer from anxiety, stress, and PTSD. Betrayed by not one brother, 11, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and taken thousands of miles away from his loving father. If ever there was a case for one who would suffer from anxiety, stress, and PTSD, it would be Joseph. But the game changer was the Lord was with Joseph. All through the pit, the betrayal, the pain, the agony, the suffering, God was with them, and he says, and in everything he did, so he succeeded. The, the rock solid hope is you can, you can come through your pit. You can come through your tragedy. You can come through your grief. You can come through your pain. You can come through your suffering if he's with you in it, if you invite him into your life. And he died upon the cross so that all of us could have him like Joseph in our life, in our suffering, with us, in our pain. 21, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. He was unjustly accused, thrown in a prison. Oh my goodness, more reason for anxiety, stress, and PTSD, Joseph. But the Lord was with him in his prison. What prison are you in just now? 
Invite him. Invite, be aware of his presence in your prison. Trust him. Wait, wait patiently on the Lord. Wait for him to have the victory. Wait for him to bring the victory. And he said, he showed them his faithful love. Faithful, that's it. Do you know him? Do you know his faithful, his hesed, his faithful covenantal? It's a covenant, it's unbreakable. He's committed to you. It's a covenant that cannot be broken. He's not like humans who break their covenants of marriage left, right, and center of as if it's nothing. But God will never break his covenant, his, his signed uh, uh, deal that is made to love you and never leave you or forsake you. That reminds us of Psalm 91, I will be with him in trouble. He was with Joseph in trouble, he was with Moses in trouble, he was with David in trouble, he was with me in trouble, and he invites you to come and invite him. He says, I will be at your side in bad times. He wants to come to be by your side. You will find and feel my presence even in your time of pressure and trouble. The Passion Translation. You will find and feel my presence. Rock solid hope. My presence, my presence. Can you find his presence in your trouble? Do you know his presence? Sometimes it's invisible. Sometimes it's not tangible. Sometimes he feels a thousand miles away, but the rock solid hope and promise that we have, he's there, even though you can't see him, even though you may not feel him, it's not emotional, but through worship. And I think worship is one of the ways that we experience his presence and therefore his healing and his hope. Worship, worship together. Worship alone, become a worshiper. Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you, okay? Rock solid hope is what? I will be with you. His presence, his presence. What's the source of rock solid hope? I will be with you. Are you in deep waters? I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of a... It doesn't say if, it says when. Not if, when. Why? Because we live in a broken world with broken people and in this life you will have trouble. So don't be afraid of rivers of difficulty, storms and fire, but know and be assured. And this is the hope that you can have is if you know I'm in a river difficulty, but the promise of God is I'm not going to drown. I feel like I'm drowning, but he's promised I won't. So I come back to his promises. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel I'm going down. I feel like I can't cope. That's okay. That's when you, that's when you come back to relationships, say, okay, God, I'll come back to you and I trust you. You will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You're in a fire just now. The promise, rock solid hope, you will not be burned up. Fire can burn up or it can refine. And God can take the fire that is sent to destroy you and use it to break the ropes that bind you. That's what happened to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They went through the fire, but they did not consume him. They, they went through the fire, they were not burned up. The only thing that burned was the ropes that they were bound in when they were thrown in. And the key for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was when Nebuchadnezzar said, count the heads, we threw three men in. How's there a fourth head? Because I will be with you in the fire. I will be with you. He was with, there's four men walking about in the fire. I think that's a beautiful picture sent from God to remind us that the things that you can come out of fire, you can, and you've got to have that hope, okay? There's Daniel 3, 16 to 27, and then also 26 and 27, as I was talking about how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
the key to them was the presence of God in the fire, the only thing that, that burned. Not even their hair or clothes were singed, only the ropes that bound them, okay? Isaiah 43, when you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. So to finish off, to summarize, number one, know him. Know that you have a loving father. Um, yeah, I will give you the best of care if only you'll get to know and trust me. Number two, call on him anytime. Learn to call. Learn the first discipline of a follower of Jesus needs to become prayer. Learn how to call on him. When you call on me, I will be answer. I will answer. And how does he answer? His presence. Sometimes he doesn't answer by bringing immediate rescue or immediate change, but he does answer with his presence. Learn that the answer is his presence. So sometimes you've got to go through that hospital journey. Sometimes we don't understand. We had a recent cancer and somebody died, but he says, I will be with you in your pain, in your suffering. I will be with you. I will help you. Invite his presence. Be aware of his presence. Learn to walk in his presence. And be assured you're going to make it through, okay? You've got to have that hope, his promise. You're not going to be burned. You're not going to drown. You are going to get through. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't necessarily have what it takes in and of yourself. And people say, you've got what it takes. You're like, but I don't. And you're right, you don't. Not in and of yourselves, but greater is he who is in you. And you can do all things through him. You can't do all things through you. So you're right, I don't have what it takes. No, you don't. You don't have what it takes in and of yourself. That's surrender. That's humility. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And don't do it alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one. Let's finish. So, sorry, I'm rushing a bit at the end there because I want to show you this last clip. And then pray. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. We're not meant to live the Christian life in isolation and in individualization. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. So as much as we must learn to call on him, it's not always meant to be personal on your own. It includes that, and that's very important. But it's together, confess our sin, confess our weakness to one another, and that opens up that humility, that vulnerability, that sharing of your weakness with others, just psychologically is very therapeutic and beneficial, but spiritually it opens up the opportunity for God in his presence to come into our situation through the love and care of others. Let's watch this last uh, story and then we'll pray. Got sound, George? Start again. Okay. Just put the next slide on, please, Clara. Today, former Blue Peter presenter Simon Thomas tells me how faith in God has been a lifeline after losing his wife to leukemia just three days after she was diagnosed. You know, I said, this is going to be the biggest, hardest test of my faith I'm ever, ever going to go through. He's not left my side. He has not left me. Cancer has touched many of our lives, often through a person we know, but the sudden loss of someone we love dearly can be particularly hard to deal with. 
Now, one of the questions I'm often asked... TV presenter Simon Thomas began his career on Blue Peter and until recently was the face of football on Sky Sports. In 2005, he married Gemma and they had a son called Ethan. But seven months ago, they discovered Gemma had a rare form of leukaemia. Just three days after her diagnosis, she died. <coughs> Simon has been telling me of the deep Christian faith which he and Gemma shared and how it's given him strength. Well, I think in the three days that we had after her diagnosis, it, it talks in the Bible about that peace that passes all understanding. Do you know what? I've never really understood what that was. I just thought it was a kind of a nice place to be and I feel peaceful. But actually, it's because you feel that sense of peace in almost the impossible situations in which to find peace. And in those three days where everything's coming at you, we're wondering what on earth acute myeloid leukemia is. We're wondering, you know, is she going to survive this? And all those kind of things are crowding on your mind. What it did is it gave me peace, even amidst the noise and the fear. And it gives me the hope that one day I'm going to see her again. And, you know, I know some people listening to this will go, oh, well, that's just a nice kind of emotional crutch that helps you in a time like this. But for me, it's real. The story of what Jesus did on the cross, that's what my faith is based on. And yeah, at times that's impossible to get your head round and to, to draw comfort from because you're thinking, how does that help me in the here and now? I've got how many more years left on this earth without Gemma. At times I've literally been holding on by one finger to my faith because that gives the direction for everything else. It was the glue in our marriage and it helps me in terms of how we and now me bring up Ethan. You know, it's the reference point for my life. This is a place that means a great deal to Simon. It's the church in Berkshire where he and Gemma worships together and to which he still belongs. I find being in here at the moment quite hard because my most immediate memory of this church is Gemma's coffin sitting up the front just a few weeks ago. And I'd, uh, with a couple of others, set up this men's group uh, months ago just to try and get men just to talk about some of the more deep stuff in life, to be there to support each other. This is before? Yeah, and I, I, I didn't realise when I set that up that the first biggest recipient of what that group was about was going to be the weeks after Gemma went. And that's where my support's come from, because that's what church is about. It is about community. And we sit down, we eat, we chat, we pray, we wrestle with some of the stuff that I'm wrestling with. When, when I've been hanging on by that one finger that I talked about, that's, that's what it's about, it's people gathering around you just saying, we haven't got the answers. When you can't pray, we'll pray for you and we'll pray with you. You made a series of promises to Gemma mm. and one of them was that you wouldn't give up on your faith. Has that been easy? No, no. And I think that's why I promised it that, that day as she neared the end. And I remember the next day and I was just sat in our lounge and the, the sun was streaming in a bit like it is into the church now. And I said, God, I will not forsake you. I'm not going to give up on my faith. This is going to be the biggest, hardest test of my faith I'm ever, ever going to go through. And I've come close at times just saying, do you know what? I can't do this anymore. This feels like an episode of the Crypt, in fact. I'm trying to find you, God, in all this, and I can't. It feels like you've gone quiet. He's not left my side. He has not left me. But you must have been angry with God. Yeah. I was really angry, and I still get angry at times now. I don't think... I'll probably ever really find out why what happened did. But yeah, I know God is beyond big enough to take my anger. 
he can take me shouting at him. You know, Jesus shouted at him on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Where on earth are you, God? At the moment I need you most. And I've shouted at him like that. If Jesus can shout at him, I can do it as well. And he's big enough to take it. Is there a song that inspires you, particularly thinking about Gemma? Yeah, in Christ alone. We had it at our wedding, and now, inexplicably, 12 years later, I'm now including it, you know, in the funeral of my wife. What, what's happened, but I had to do it. I wanted to do it. And it's, there's, there's words of real power in there, and particularly about the resurrection, about the conquering of death, of Jesus rising again. And I just thought, it's got to go in. Let's just, um, can you put on that, uh, this song, Clara, the YouTube song, just going to invite us to close our eyes just now. That, that story perfectly illustrates all of my points <laughs> uh, about community, about needing each other, about talking, about pain and disappointment and suffering and brokenness, about the now and not yet, about choosing to uh, follow him even when he's invisible, about dealing with our anger, about uh, his presence, he never left him, and about uh, hope, rock solid hope, that even when disappointment, there is disappointment. And it can be disappointment even with God. I, th I thought you, God, wouldn't allow that to happen to my wife. There can be disappointment. I thought you wouldn't allow my baby to die if you were good and you're loving. And that is difficult. We can't get an answer. And, but I think if we move our, our questions from why to what God, what, what can you do through this pain? So I just want you to take a moment now. I want to invite his presence to come. So would you close your eyes? Can we take a few moments now to invite his presence? We shouldn't really talk about his presence and his healing if we don't give you opportunity to experience it. So I want you just to have a little moment now between you and God. First of all, if you're not assured that if you are going to heaven, if you're not assured that you are his child, if you're not assured that you're forgiven and you're going to heaven, he gives you that opportunity right now. He died upon the cross, said, when God so loved you, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross. And if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. So he wants to give you the opportunity right now just to become his child. And just say this prayer quietly in your heart to God, just between you and him. Dear Father, I need you. I realize I don't have what it takes. And I come to you now and I, I need your hand. I'm broken. Watch his faith and grace
for as you receive perfect love. And we have a relationship with that perfect love. There is no room for fear. So we speak to fear right now, the fear of the future. The fear for your children. The fear over your circumstances. You're bringing your presence right now. Trust, I want you to take a moment now if there's, between you and God, if there's anything not right in your life, just ask him to forgive you. Say, Father, please forgive me. God, I get angry. God, there's stuff in my life I'm looking at. Thoughts that I have, I know that are wrong. There's addictions I have. There's things that I say. that song playing now but if you said that prayer for the first time today and maybe today you've come back to God and said I need you God I want you in my life just put with every eye closed just put your hand up nice and high just show me if anyone's thank you so much two nice and high there's a team at the back that I've got a little bag for you three there's a team at the back that are going to come and give you a little bag and they're going to take you for a little coffee if you're up for it they want to just take you for a little coffee uh, free coffee or tea or a hot drink just to chat with you and to give you a little free book and a little encouragement and um, maybe at the end of this we're going to sing a song of worship together and at the end of that song uh, if you're up for it they're going to the, the team at the back have got a little gold bag for you and they just want to share a few first steps so father 
Let's stand to your feet. Father, we thank you for your presence. Teach us to live in your presence, to receive your presence, to walk in your presence, in Jesus' name. We're going to close with this final song. And then after we close with that song, if you would like individual prayer, just one-on-one -on -one prayer, just come down this corner and two or three of my prayer team can just come and be prepared just to pray for you, just for a few minutes. And the general prayer is good, but sometimes one-on-one -on -one prayer. So if there's something specific you want prayer for, just come down the front, okay? Let's, let's close with this song, thank you, George, and I thank you for your time today.